Hey, welcome to the Chess Experience. On this show, it's all about helping adult improvers. I want to make learning chess easier for you to navigate, and I also want you to have a more fun experience along the way. I'm your host, Daniel Lona, a fellow chess amateur. Let's get to it. This show is sponsored by Chess.com, the world's largest chess community. One of Chess.com's most popular features is called Game Review. This feature weaves together a lot of benefits in one post-game analysis. For example, you can see how accurately you played, whether you made any moves that were deemed brilliant or great, which makes me feel a lot better about my chess when I get one of those. And Game Review also offers a virtual coach that gives insights on every move. It'll also show you alternate lines that would have been better for you to help you understand how you can improve your game. So go on chess.com, play a game, and try out the game review. Welcome to this week's episode. A couple of things before I dive into introducing the guest. First, I'm sorry to have missed releasing an episode last week. A few obstacles got in the way, like attending the Chicago Open Tournament and then getting really sick shortly after that, uh, which you still might be able to hear in my voice. So I apologize if you can and for all of that. But rest assured, missing an episode will be a rare occurrence. Second, I want to announce an exciting collaboration I'm doing with international master Andres Toth. He is one of two people coaching me right now. And Andres will be releasing most, maybe even all the lessons that I do with him indefinitely on his YouTube channel. In fact, the first lesson has already been released, so you can go check that out on his YouTube channel right now. And here's the cool thing about this. While we usually will be going over my classical games together in our coaching lessons, Andres has an incredible approach where he teaches in broad themes and ideas. That means even if you're not playing my openings or making my exact same mistakes, there's so much to learn from watching him coach me because of the really broad application of lessons that he offers in his coaching. Uh, So I'm sure that if you watch them, it'll help your game too. So you can check out that first video that's already up. It's on his YouTube channel. You can go to Chess Coach Andres. That's the name of his YouTube channel. And our lessons will have my name, Daniel Lona, in the title and my image in the thumbnail. So those should be pretty easy to find in his channel. And hey, if you do watch one of those and you really enjoyed it, feel free to tag me and him on Twitter and let us know what you liked. And I'll I'll be sure to respond to you uh, to that. And there's a good chance Andres will as well. So hope you enjoy that. Okay. On to introducing this week's guest, woman grandmaster Irene Sukandar. Irene is a two-time Asian women's champion, a four-time Indonesian women's chess champion, and she's been the top five player in Indonesia. Like many Americans, I first heard about Irene in 2021 when she faced off against a guy known as Dua Kipas, who had just cheated against Levi Rosman, who I'm sure many of you know maybe even better by his channel name Gotham Chess. Now, a lot of you know this story. After Chess.com shut down Dua Kipas' account for cheating in his game against Levy, Irene faced him in an over-the-board match. Uh, the idea being that Irene was also an international master like Levy, and so 
if this guy Dua Kipis could beat someone of international master strength, he needed to prove it over the board. And he failed to do so. Uh, and Irene beat him in all three games. Now, that match was the most watched chess stream in chess history with 1.2 million live viewers. Now, I bring all this up to kind of recap how she you know, got the attention of a lot of people who didn't know her outside of Indonesia. But in this interview, I decided not to discuss that story at great length with Irene. Two reasons. First, I think Jennifer Shahadi covered that story really well in an interview with Irene on her podcast, Ladies Night. So if you want to deep dive on that story, I'd recommend going to Jennifer's podcast and checking that out. But most importantly, I think Irene deserves to be interviewed for all her other accomplishments at this point because that story has already been covered so well. So I only ask her one question about it in this interview. Most of this discussion is about her own unique and special chess journey as a woman in Indonesia. And then in the final third of the interview, I ask her to share some of her wisdom on OTB tournaments that could help us adult improvers since she's still very active with competing. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Irene. How are you today? Hi, Daniel. I'm a little bit tired, but overall, I'm good. Thanks for asking. How are you? <laughs> no problem. Um, <laughs> I'm doing well. Thanks. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. I have followed you for, I guess, a little over a year now. I guess I say that to a lot of my guests because that's how long I've gotten back into chess uh, for the past year and a half. But uh, obviously, you know, the the major events from last year is what uh, made me aware of you with the match with Duakipas. But the great news about all of that, in spite of the controversy that surrounded it, was is that I got to learn about you and discover who you are. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I remember distinctly when I started following you on Twitter was you shared at that moment in last last year, it was recent for you, where you had gone to DC, and I, I think it was DC, and you had played some people outside, like some hustlers kind of thing. Oh, uh, yeah. at, uh, <laughs> I think it was some blitz. They had no idea who you were or how good you were as a player. And uh, yeah, I think you won all of your games. And that was, I just thought that was the coolest story. And <laughs> I looked up to you for that. I was like, ah, I want to be able to do that one day. It just surprised people with how good I am. But in any case, that was when I first kind of started learning about you. And I've learned a lot about you since then. And I'm excited to have you on the show is the point. Oh, yeah, that was um, definitely one of the most memorable moments uh, during my, my stay in the US. Yeah, I, I traveled Actually, when I was studying in the U.S., I traveled a lot um, within the country. And um, I visited some places where I know there would be chess players or chess hustlers. So I visited that. I think it was the DuPont Circle in D.C., the, the picture that you mentioned. I think it was at the DuPont Circle. I was yeah. with my friends and then we just went for coffee. Um, and then we stumbled across this park and we didn't know that it, that will be chess players. Actually, it was, it was by accident. And then one of the guys, I think he was rated 2200, but I was 2400 already by, by that time. And I was just playing him one game and I won. And then he got curious and then asked for another match. And then I won again. And then whenever. Uh, people ask me like, uh, who, are, who am I and why am I here? I was just saying I'm a student. I'm studying in the U.S., which is true. I'm not. I was not lying. <laughs> I, was, I was really a student. And there was also another another story. I was. I think it was during winter. I went to New York. I went to Central Park, and yeah, as you know, there are 
there were many chess players there at the at this particular point uh, at the Central Park, and then I played. I was I was with my friend. Um, he was rated about twenty one hundred. I was again still uh, twenty four hundred, and then he played against uh, some player, and then that player was trying to guess his rating, and he guessed almost like correctly, like about two thousand to twenty one fifty, and then when I played against him, I actually crushed him. <laughs> um, very badly and then I asked the same question can you try to guess my rating and he said I'm about 1900 or 1800 even I was like okay I don't know what is wrong but um, obviously the combination between chess and female or girls are not really um, looking up to so much not only in the US I think in anywhere in the world and, and it's sometimes uh, a little bit saddening me so that is why uh you're bringing about the um the, the match from last year from the wakipas yeah uh it attracts so much attention and i think it is it is a good wake-up call that female or girls we can do as much as the boys do you know like we can we can we can do wonders too so yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i would have been happy frankly to see any international master beat do keep us but i was even more happy that it was a woman um just because i don't know it just it just felt better i hope that's a positive thing i mean that in a positive way i just i just like that you know you were you were showing what women can do in chess i guess is the point yes exactly yeah so those are those are great stories and uh, i love how you were just kind of casual about your own chess experience and explaining it to them. I thought that was so cool. And that's, that kind of endeared me to you right away when I, when I read that story. You didn't just come right out and say, I'm an international master or I'm a WGM. <laughs> I just thought not mentioning it was, uh, was uh, really cool. And uh, anyway, that was a great story. And it, it was uh, one of my first introductions to you after, after hearing about that match. So that was great. Okay. So I want to start just by getting to to hear a bit more about your own chess journey. I know you've talked about it on other shows and things like that, but uh, maybe we can get into a couple different angles from it. Since I've had this podcast, Irene, I've interviewed a lot of titled players, uh, most of them who are from Eastern Europe, and hearing about their chess life as kids, I kind of became envious of how prominent chess is in the in those cultures in Eastern Europe especially compared to the United States. So when I learned about your story, I thought it was interesting hearing you say that Indonesia's culture doesn't maybe appreciate chess, you know, as much as we would like. And uh, that kind of just reminded me of how I felt in the United States. So before we actually get into your own individual story, maybe we could just set the stage and you can tell me just a little bit about what were some of the general attitudes about chess in Indonesia when you were a kid? Um, yeah, so in Indonesia, well, I think in some other countries, uh, there are some pluses and minuses, like in the US or Eastern European countries. So in Indonesia, uh, I think chess is widely received, but probably is not very much appreciated by the prominent institutions. Like, for example, uh, chess is not the best sport to follow. As for entertainment, people would prefer to follow like um, uh, soccer, for example, or other other sports that can be easily understood. Like chess, you have to to have certain understanding to to really enjoy what was going on in the game, and you know, 
to make you feel entertained, but uh, it's, it's very hard. You have to, you have to understand the rules. You have to understand the technique, strategy and everything else uh, for, for you to enjoy. So, uh, this is, this is a very, a very hard step for chess to move forward in terms of getting sponsorship and so on. But as I mentioned earlier, chess is widely received. Like so many players, I mean, so many people here in Indonesia play chess, like in the street, in the cafe mm. and everything, you know. So uh, we just have to gather together like uh, all this uh, Olympic Council or the other sports institutions, the local sports institutions to really bring chess to a certain industry where we can produce uh, high level players. And this is what I'm not seeing in my country compared to the Eastern European countries where they already have the system to do that. And we know, like, for example, Serbia, not only in chess, but also uh, other other sports in tennis or in, in water polo and other things. You know, they have already certain system to bring their sports to mm. become uh, one of the major achievements of their countries. And in Indonesia, it's only for certain sports that are popular and chess is not included. And uh, this is why as a chess player and also as a female chess player, especially, uh, I'm trying to bring this forward, uh, not only from the chess background, because it's easy to say that, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want chess to, to be... Um, more popular and anything else if I don't do any chess achievement myself. So that is why I was trying to, to prove it, you know, uh, especially as a female player that I can do all the things. I can become a woman grandmaster. I can, I can travel internationally. I can, I can get scholarships from, uh, foreign universities. And then I can actually provide myself with all the, uh, chess incomes that I got. So, uh, I'm trying to provide all this in so many fronts so that those players or those parents, especially, uh, they would not become hesitant to bring their kids into chess. And then uh, after I'm covering this front, then I will try to use my influence, of course, to to bring chess, like to change its like its image. Sometimes it's depicted as a very negative image. Maybe you've heard it from my other podcast as well, that mm-hmm. uh, Indonesia, it, it, it's not seen as an educational tool, whereas it is actually very, very educative. Like there is no negative effect from chess at all. In fact, it, it, it is um, improving and boosting your cognitive um, ability and everything else in your life. So yeah, no, I'm, I've been doing it. Uh, this is what I've been doing since before the match of Dewa Kipas, but of course, after the match, the the popularity of chess, not only in Indonesia, but I think we can see the boom of chess uh, all over the world as well. And it really makes me happy. So yeah, let's see. Uh, I will, I will keep doing what I've been doing, but of course, <laughs> this is, this is a task of so many people, not only one. And I hope there will be more uh, figures in Indonesia who can share the same vision as mine. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you said that you're trying to use your the influence that you have right now and in the future to promote chess in Indonesia and, and have it be seen as an educational tool, um, something that, that people can do potentially as a career and all of that. That's fantastic. In fact, I might even ask you a little bit more about that later in the interview. Um, mm-hmm. When you were a kid, 
and maybe even this is true now, still in Indonesian culture, was chess seen as a potential career option? Like, was that something parents would consider for their children as a possibility or no? Not at all. Not at all. I, I didn't even know why my parents got me into chess at the first place. Okay. I asked, I asked them to, to get me the chess set and I asked them to teach me chess. But I was thinking like back in the day, like, um, there's, <laughs> I was thinking there might be something wrong in my parents' brains <laughs> that allow me to play chess first as a girl. And second, that, that time it's, it's really hard for a girl to really achieve something in chess. Okay. Maybe, um, it's because my dad, he used to be an, an athlete, a table tennis athlete, a national table, table, table tennis athlete. So he was, and he likes playing chess. It's not like he doesn't know play, he doesn't know about chess or anything. He likes playing chess, but not professionally, of course. It's just like he spends time uh, with his, with his friends playing chess from time to time. And then I asked him to to teach me how to move the pieces and so on, and I got hooked into it. And then he sent me to the chess school, and that's where uh, my career took off. And I started playing chess at seven, and um, I already repre- represent my country when I was eleven at the uh, Southeast Asian Games, which is which the event that I'm currently playing right now. But imagine it was, it was in 2003 and now it's 2022. So I was the youngest. I was not only the youngest in the team, but I was the youngest uh, of uh, the whole contingent, the, the whole Indonesian contingent, because this is like the Olympic for the Southeast Asia countries. So it was totally not promising. And uh, seeing how I have seeing how I had to play a tournament like once every two months or three months because the frequency of tournaments back then, it was very rare mm. and it was only for open. It's not like now. I could see in the U.S. there are so many tournaments uh, for girls, for juniors, for age group kids and so on. Like you can just choose so many tournaments from any schedules. And um, when I was Growing up, it was not the case and, um, it was very hard. And somehow I think we pulled a miracle by my patient in chess because it's very easy to lose it, especially, you know, you, you rarely play tournaments and then you're, you're only hanging out with, uh, grown men, adults. And, uh, it's very hard to, to get people around your age to play together. So, and as a girl, of course, I, I experienced so many insults. You know, in, in during my games or before or after my games, like uh, how to move the pieces and so on, where I was already, of course, I could already play the chess. So uh, it was not promising, but thank God when I got my uh, WGM title when I was 16, um, of course, it was a record in Indonesia because uh, there was no WGM before me uh, from Indonesia. So I was first and I got it in relatively young age um, at 16. And um, it really boosted the chess popularity in Indonesia, especially for girls and for other kids. So girls and boys. And um, in the one or two years after that, I could see uh, the increase of quantity of players and then 
not only the players, but also the tournament. So there is a supply and demand in this regard. So, and, and things have been going very well. And of course, the match last year helped again, even though, um, it, it, it supported from the online side. But I'm sure after we come back into the normalcy very soon after this pandemic, I'm sure, um, there will be more and more players, especially juniors, kids, girls, uh, to play and also the parents, uh, in, yeah, I keep bringing the parents in this, um, in this matter because I realized all over the years, I've been playing chess for more than 20 years. I've seen how, um, how parents really influence, um, the decision of their kids into chess. Uh, so it's, it's really important to actually keep bringing the parents in this type of discussion because, uh, they'll be the one who, you know, sometimes be the decision makers for their kids. Yeah. Wow. A lot of great points there and insights. So let's see. I'll, I'll follow up on, on a few different things that you said. Mm-hmm. One of them, let's, let's go back to uh, a little bit more on the beginning side of your story. And I've heard you say in other interviews that, you know, your dad was, kind of strict with you, you know, in, in playing chess and getting good at it. But you also mentioned that he was competitive in his own life with table tennis. So mm-hmm. do you think like he pushed you in chess to be successful at it just as part of his own kind of competitive nature? He wanted you to kind of have that drive too? Or do you think he actually even like envisioned a career for you in it? Did it go that far to him seeing a career for you in it? Or was it just his own desire to see you excel at it because he's competitive? Uh, I think dreams gradually change or improve from time to time. Obviously, when I got started and he approved me playing chess, he wasn't dreaming or he wasn't expecting me to be a professional chess player, right? Mm-hmm. But then over time, it would it would change according to... Um, my improvement on chess itself. So I believe at some point he was envisioning me to be the first WGM in Indonesia because oh, wow. uh, that was what the country was lacking of. Um, but then, but toward, toward that point, of course, there was some journey that uh, made him ask me to be really serious about my chess. And I was, again, I was 11 that time, 10 or 11. I was already showing something, some promise about my, my chess ability, especially in the, uh, women's chess in Indonesia. And, uh, yeah, he asked me whether I really want to focus on my chess. And if yes, there would be consequences and there would be things that I have to do in order to, uh, fulfill what I was dreaming of, you know, I want to play chess and I have to keep training. I have to play tournaments. And he already said that, uh, because he already had this experience as an athlete. So, and he was an athlete since he was also very young. So he knew that I would need to sacrifice my childhood hmm. uh, or my teen- teenage years. And okay, thankfully by that time, um, the mobile phones are not, we're not very popular like <laughs> nowadays. So, uh, it was not so much of a distraction to be just on chess, but of course, um, okay. Every kid has their own distractions. Um, but then he, he 
uh, told me to really stick to my choice. Like if I want to do chess, then I have to do this. And if I want to focus on my school, and I have to do this. But he also, both with my mom, also taught me to how to discipline my time between uh, school and chess and other things that I'd like to do. Uh, because as a kid, I, I was I was a busy kid, and I was. Um, I think to compare with the kids nowadays, yeah, I was I was very diligent. I was doing so many things at the same time. By the time I was eleven, twelve, thirteen, I was already winning so many things. Uh, and then by the time I was fourteen, I was already the national champion of Indonesia. And uh, and two years after that, I got my uh, I got my WGM title fulfilled. So um, yeah, so that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is what I'd like to highlight actually for parents, for players, for everyone that you have to dream something, of course, that is, um, you know, not making any sense. Because if you, if you, if your dream makes sense, it's not a dream; it's a goal, right? So, yeah. first, envision something that is not making sense. Probably, okay. I want to be, I don't know. When I was a when I was a young kid, I really want to be an archaeologist. Uh, I really I really like um, history. I really like you know all these type of things. But turns out I've become a chess player. So I don't know. <laughs> but again, we're um, happy that you did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but okay, this this dream is still something uh, that is in the box of making sense. You know, like it's. I, I can still achieve it now, but yeah. But of course, when I was I, when I started playing chess, I was uh, I was taught to dream something, and then I dream. Oh, I want to be uh, that time. I want to be a WGM of Indonesia the first time because you know when you when you just started playing chess, like one one day, two days, you know, and then you already told yourself like that. And then I want to be first. I want to be the champion of Indonesia. I want to travel around the world. I want to be uh, the first WGM of, of Indonesia. I want to bring chess. No, actually I want to, I want to popularize chess or something like that. And all yeah. these dreams um, have been uh, coming through one by one. So I'm, I'm really glad. And now I just have to keep dreaming. Like what I told you, I want to envision chess has been played with so many kids, so many girls in Indonesia and, uh, you know, I'd really like them to take over my place right now. I just recently gave an interview. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I recently gave an interview. I played the SEA Games for like five times already. Uh, so this, this Olympic event of Southeast Asian Games, it's been held once every two years. And this is my fifth time playing it. And I just said that, okay, I hope in the next SEA Games, we will see many faces, you know, many new faces. Um, so it's not that I don't want to play. It's just that chess in Indonesia or anywhere in the world, we need regeneration. So, um, so people like me, uh, we can, we can uh, support chess from, uh, other fronts, not only from playing, uh, the game itself, but, you know, like, uh, gathering some sponsorship or anything else or coaching. There are still so many things we can do. Chess has become a really, good and big industry nowadays and um i think it's a shame if we don't exploit the fact so uh yeah, yeah so this is my vision yeah uh like in a few coming uh years um i would be overtaken but of course 
of course, I would still train, I would still play tournament and so on. But when you but, say overtaken, what do you what do you mean exactly? You mean someone having a, another woman having uh, you know a higher rating than you in Indonesia? Not only that, it's just that uh, um, I'd like to. Okay, for now, in many important events that uh, that we have to represent our country, I'm still needed in the team. Hmm. Even though I've been playing chess for 20 years and I've been playing lots of Olympiads, Sea Games, um, other Asian teams or, you know, things like that, the, the official events, um, it's not open tournaments or anything. And I'm still needed in my team. Um, so it's, it's, it's a sign. We can see so many other countries like Russia, uh, China, like, even though there will be some faces in the team that it, you can see from time to time, but they will have, they also will have like some new faces that will show, okay, we have our new upcoming player in the national team that will overtake the old ones. And that, that is the cycle that you have to, you have to get actually in the country. So in a way, I'm still grateful that my country still need me and I still can do things, you know, uh, for my country, but on the other hand, I'd like our national team to have new faces as well. It's uh, it's a, it's not my task, of course. It's the task of others to grow, to improve, so that they can um, make themselves worth for the national team. And it's not an easy task, actually. Uh, if you don't donate your time, if you don't dedicate your your life into into training and tournaments because um, otherwise, you know, it would be just all just a dream. So, sure. uh, yeah. And also in, in men's as well, in Indonesian, um, Indonesian's men's, um, I'd like to see more and more grandmasters. We've been lacking about that title for decades. And um, oh, wow. I yeah, I mean, that long. Wow. Well, we've, we've got one recently, actually, but only one. And, and we, out of, you see, like the statistics really made me sad. Uh, we are about 275 million people, uh, but we only produce eight grandmasters so far. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, the number is really sad. So I'd like to see more and more players, um, um, to improve themselves and somehow becoming grandmasters. I'd like, I'd like to see it as a domino effect, you know, like when I got my WGM title, um, the domino effect was the quantity of, of players in my country, especially the kids, the juniors, the girls. And, uh, sooner or later, that quantity will bring up the quality. And I'd like to see it as well in the, in the men's department because, uh, now, the girls or the female in Indonesia, we, we actually achieve more than the men's. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know, I was going to ask you about that because you had said that earlier that, well, you at least implied it. And I wasn't sure if I heard you right. Now I know I did. And that's amazing that when you got the WGM title in Indonesia, you're saying that inspired more women and girls to to pursue chess and, and to compete at higher levels with it. That's incredible. I mean, that's something <laughs> to be extremely proud of. I, I'm, I'm kind of in awe of that, actually. I didn't know it would have that kind of effect, but that's really inspiring. Yeah, that effect lasts long. 
and up until now, like I said before, uh, the, the, the Indonesian female, we achieve more than the men's. Can you imagine from, from not achieving anything back then before I got my WGM title, uh, from, from that point to having lots of players and until we are actually overtaking their achievement. So I'd like to see this, uh, continued, of course, but, um, but, I'm also wishing that the men's players will keep up, you know, not only relying on the on the female achievement for <laughs> the the local chess. So yeah. right, yeah, both is ideal. Speaking of something you said earlier, which was to kind of you know to chase a, a a dream and and turn it into a goal for yourself, something that seems maybe a little bit out of reach or or difficult. Uh, I think that would be a great segue into discussing your interest in pursuing the GM title. I know you've talked mm-hmm. about it on other shows, uh, mm-hmm. that it was something that you were actively working on. And the last I heard you speak of it, at least on an American podcast, was a little over a year ago. So I'm curious if you could update us right now on how that journey is going for you. Yeah, it's been tough for me. <laughs> um I'm still, I'm still on the same path. Uh, so I still have my one GM norm. I'm still thinking of getting another two, but it's been, it's been very hard, uh, during the pandemic. Um, but I was actually fortunate enough to play a few tournaments since, um, since July last year. But yeah, it was not enough for me to, to have a good performance to get my second norm. But I hope in the upcoming tournaments, I have, uh, soon in June, I have a GM norm tournament coming up, uh, in Singapore. And then July, August, um, the, there is an Olympiad in India where I can try, I can try my luck again there. Would you say that that's been the, uh, biggest obstacle for you in the past year or two was, was the pandemic and just not having many tournaments to go to? No, actually. I actually envy my younger age where you don't really have to think about other things so much. It's just now over the course of one year, at least I have so many things on my plate. Um, so many other things to think about and do, uh, not only my chess, but on the other hand, I'm still an active player. So I have to, um, Obviously, my my main task is to train and yeah, just train and train. But as an adult, um, it is very hard to do it. I I, I had other 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 jobs too, uh, to do. Okay, I, I'm not working like nine to five or anything, but it's just that I've been doing so many chess projects back in Indonesia again to make my dreams come true about all this uh chess being popular, and then so that my future generation they can have. What I didn't have, like, for example, a proper sponsorship and money for them to grow, uh, in many, um, things in their chess life, like for tournaments, because Indonesia is not, I think, geographically, uh, suitable for chess because, uh, for chess, you have to travel a lot to, to Europe or to US, but mainly to Europe. Although mm. nowadays, uh, you can find so many tournaments also in Asia, but, um, I'm still thinking that, um, Europe is more, uh, suitable if you want to improve your chess enormously compared to being in Asia. So traveling will, will cost a lot too. And, um, this is what you need, like sponsorship. So, but I think I'll just take it step by step. Um, 
first is to popularize chess and then use my influence so that chess will have uh, their younger generation. And then we'll see how things unfold from that. So I'm not trying to make this as an excuse of my uh, failure of getting my second GM norm, but uh, it is sure. what it is. So I was just wishing, of course, you cannot take the time back, but I was just wishing that um, in my younger age, um, if I had this type of influence and I have this type of um, ability, I think I would I would have been excelling more than now. But what I couldn't achieve, I'm trying to put them onto the younger generation so that um, they will not know the hardship that I encountered. Yeah, I really appreciate that you take a broader perspective on it. Um, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, it would be great if you yourself as an individual received more sponsorship help from, I guess, from Indonesia, from your government or corporate entities. But I, I appreciate that you're also thinking about it from the perspective of just the younger generation and wanting to do a lot of what you've achieved and needing that help. You know, I think I said this prior to us starting to record, and I didn't actually say mm-hmm. this once we, once people start listening to this interview, but just about the match that you had in 2021 with, with Do It Keep Us. I mean, I feel like you've talked about that a lot in a lot of other shows and podcasts and things like that. So in this interview, we're not going to go deep on the entire story. I think your interview with Jennifer Shahadi was amazing and really describing all the ins and outs of that, that incident mm-hmm. and that story for you. Uh, that said, I do do have one or two questions about it that uh, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about and more on the positive side of things because it was kind of a, a mixed bag <laughs> incident. But after that happened, uh, one of the positives of you having that match against Do It Keep Us in 2021 was that even though you were already you know, extremely accomplished, as we talked about, in chess and well-known in your country and had... Um, a good amount of prestige in the chess world, it still elevated you right to to new heights. And I'm kind of curious what what new opportunities you've had, positive opportunities you've had um, now in the chess world that have uh, presented themselves to you since that happened. Yeah, basically, I think just the frequency of what appearances or projects that I've been doing uh, because I've been well, I've been doing them even before the match, but it's just it. Uh, enhance the frequency of, of those projects. And it's, it's really cool because, because then I can really be an influencer for, for others about it and give more talks and give more, uh, coachings and then seminars and other things. So it's great because, um, even though at first it was a really big hardship, uh, mm. but then, um, the way the thing, the way things unfolded, I think it was it was to my favor and to everyone's favor who loves chess in Indonesia, of course. So, and I think we've seen more and more tournaments nowadays, uh, even though they're online. Yeah, I cannot I cannot wait for the pandemic to be really end, you know, because yeah. uh, I'd like to see how how enthusiastic people are right now about chess uh, playing on the board because um, Indonesia, even though it's becoming more relaxed. But there are still so many restrictions about uh, gathering in public, especially for chess tournaments and so on. So when we are back to the normalcy, I really cannot wait how uh, people will be, you know, consuming chess after so long. <laughs> so yeah, definitely, definitely, everything has a positive um, outcomes for me, and I'm I'm really grateful for that and looking forward to keep it going. 
Yeah. So you're in the media more. You said you're you're giving like lectures or workshops. What's been the your favorite new addition to your chess life now that kind of came from that? Oh, new edition. Um, I think I like meeting new people and, and because of this and despite the pandemic, I keep meeting new people and, and then we can share so many new ideas together. And I still, I still do traveling as I always do before. And, um, this has been great. And, oh, actually what they haven't seen about, about chess players is because it's, it's just that we chess players, we travel a lot and not so many people know that because before everything, chess was seen as, um, you know, it's not a promising, it's not a promising, uh, game or sport to play to provide your, your life and so on. But people can see that I still travel a lot and, um, it means that, um, chess has given me so much, not only about my achievement, but also uh, in financial department. So uh, this is great to show that how promising chess can be if you can be uh, one of the best in your country. And of course, um, it it will elevate the image of chess itself. And people nowadays, whenever they see my social medias, they would say, like, oh, Irene is here now. And then next month, Irene will be in the other country and so on. How could she afford that and so on? I mean, obviously, it's chess. So yeah, these things, you know, you can, you can show them directly or indirectly that, uh, this is a way of a chess player life that you can, you can do your job, but you can also enjoy your life. And traveling has been my, my biggest passion of the chess. And I still can, can do whatever I want. Uh, I can still do things that I enjoy and I combine it with chess. So that is a very good combo. Yeah, I I love that you still do that and are very active in traveling. So I think that's one of the things that separates you from a lot of the people that I follow. Uh, it's just speak for myself, but I got to believe that my perception might be similar to others. So I follow a lot of people in uh, in chess on Twitter these days, and uh, you know a lot of them are are streamers and such, and they're doing amazing things for sure, no doubt. A lot of these, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, I'll call them a chess celebrity. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. A lot of chess celebrities doing amazing stuff for for the game and in their own careers. But for you, Irene, um, you are one of the few people of these well-known chess figures that I see traveling all the time to do tournaments and other events. And uh, that really did stand out to me, even amongst people who are well-known within chess. It really stood out as being unique that way, at least from my perspective. I just think that's amazing. Like It really did. I found it inspiring. I think it affected me in exactly the way that you talked about just now and what you hope for, which is that it inspires people to want to pursue chess. Like it makes me, even though I know I'm (laughs) not in any time soon going to, uh, you know, be paid to travel or compete internationally, it just made me excited to be part of a community that can do that, that can offer that, that, that has people seeing the world while they play chess. So, um, just a long way of saying, as I usually take a long way of saying, I think it's really great that you do that. And I think it is inspiring people. It's inspiring me. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, the thing about traveling all over the world was my inspiration when I was, uh, starting to play chess. I, I already told myself that I want to see the world. I want to see many places. I want to see, uh, many cultures and their food and their people. And I was, I was already thinking that I will use chess as, um, as a way to do that. And I've been doing it ever since. So, uh, 
again, this is, this is a part of my dreams and, and I hope, you know, because you can inspire anyone through anything, actually. Uh, maybe when I was seven, when I was six, um, when I said things like this, I want to see the world and I want, and I want to use chess as a tool to do that. People would look me in, in one eye and then, are you serious? You know, <laughs> and back then chess wasn't that promising, but look, I'm, I'm realizing my own dreams and maybe, uh, there are many kids out there who also like to see the world and they see me and they see chess. And as again, it would be like a perfect combo for them. And that's how they got to pursue the, the game. So yeah, it's actually, uh, curious how, how you can actually inspire people. I got so many inspiration from other people in so many different ways as well. So, uh, I'm just using it with um you know uh, with my own and maybe one day you know through this uh podcast whoever listens to this letter maybe become a grandmaster or woman grandmasters one day and they can be inspired to travel around the world um with chess so let's see <laughs> yeah i would love that that would be great and even though there's a lot of adults listening many of these adults listening have mm-hmm. young kids young girls yeah young boys. exactly and yeah. they can they can tell them your story, and I think that would be amazing. I hope they do. Yeah, maybe in 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 ten years to come, um, some of the parents might thank you for having this podcast and you know uh, having their kids play chess and probably become the national champions of the U.S. or even uh, the world chess champion of uh, boys or girls under eight or under ten, and then on the way to become a grandmaster. So, yeah, I I really have to. Props it to you, Daniel, because uh, it's, it's, I'm, I know it's not an easy task for, uh, someone to actually start a podcast. And, and, um, I'm sure you are not that long in chess, but you've been doing so many great things for, for chess community and especially for the adult learners. So yeah, I must, I must give it to you. So thank you for <laughs> what you've been doing too. Oh, thank you. Well, you know what? I don't know how much you know of my own journey, but, um, my re-entry into chess hasn't been that long, but I learned to play when I was five years old. My dad taught me, and I'm bringing this back to your point. And um, in middle school, when I was about 12 years old, I got serious about chess on, on my mm. own. And I studied it like crazy for a couple of years and I competed in, in tournaments. Um, but you know how different things can take you in different directions in life. So I, I, I didn't play it for many years until recently but mm-hmm. to to your point, Irene, I think if you grow up with it, it can stay with you forever, and as it did for me. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm just honored to be back in the community now as an adult and trying to spread the word about chess as as much as possible and help people uh, on their journey with it and with people like you who can who can help them. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk now about the advice that you can share for our mm-hmm. listen for the listeners here. Uh, on competing in OTB tournaments. You know, it's a big part of the adult chess experience, even for a lot of people like myself who are either getting back into it from an earlier age or getting into it for the first time. A lot of them Mm -hmm. are interested in competing in tournaments, uh, either for the first time or, you know, actually I do have a very sizable amount of my audience who's just already competed a ton. And, but they still, you know, it's it's still always a challenge, right? To to do well in tournaments. So uh, my first question for you on this uh, what do you recommend for approaching how they'll play games or their own study habits in the one to two weeks leading up to a tournament? 
So again, they're not prepping for a specific opponent, but they know they have a tournament coming up within two weeks. Do you recommend that they change anything or, or do anything specific in their studies? Okay, there are so many factors coming to play. Uh, for example, how important the tournaments are. So if it's just some open tournament that you can set some goals like um, um, short-term goals and and long-term goals. So for example, you're working on some specific opening. Though I don't really recommend uh, doing openings so much uh, for club players, I would recommend doing more like um, tactics and then uh, positional understanding. Like for example, end games and middle games uh, themes, they're actually very important. As in club players, normally the number when you get punished in the opening is probably one out of 10. Mm. Um, as long as you can get like uh, eight moves out from the opening and then your king is safe and then you can just play in the middle game, you're you're good. You don't have to be um, having like a home cook prep like the Elikar <laughs> Master for like, you know, 25, 30, 30 moves out. So yeah, this is what I always uh, talk in my uh, coaching clinics, especially to the kids and, you know, um, younger viewers or club players who, who don't play chess professionally. You just, in the opening, it's, it's very easy. You can just, um, play for the center. You fight for the center, the D4, E4, E5, D5, uh, squares, and you develop your pieces, especially your knights and the, your bishops, and then castle. And then after that, it's more or less, middle game already and then this is where you play your magic and then in the middle game there are so many uh thematic uh strategical and tactical lines and then you have to yeah you just have to be familiar with it so there are books of tactical books oh by the way tactics you have to do every day it's to sharpen your minds let it be online tactics we, we've seen so many online tactics features on on many chess platforms now or you can do uh the tactics tactics from the book it's just that uh it's good to have like a thematic tactics like so that you know the theme of each one and then yeah so tactics is very important it will be uh deciding the come the, the outcome of your of your games and then uh there it comes to the point the boring part is the strategy uh strategical lesson it's um yeah there are so many things in the end game or in the middle game maybe in the end game okay the biggest end game is the work end game you have to you have to know by heart how to do the loosener bridge what is the field or defense in the rook end game and so on and of course uh all other combination of end games yeah like uh the pawn end games all the all the teams you have to familiarize yourself with with those type of of um of themes because they come into your uh, games very often instead of being punished in the opening, of course. But uh, there are some openings that obviously if you don't study and if you don't know what to do, then you might lose one game there. But don't, again, don't um, focus yourself on one specific opening that is, uh, you know, some random opening. I call it random because in chess, we we know that there are main openings such as Rue Lopez or Spanish, Italian, if you play E4, E5, and then E4C5, Sicilian, Nidolf, Schwenningen, and you know, all these are very uh big openings that been that 
that have been played by uh, many elite grandmasters back in the day until now. So, and also for Kings Indian players, Queen's Gambit, these are the main openings. But again, <laughs> uh, from time to time, especially on online chess, you encounter, you encounter openings like Stafford Gambit. <laughs> that's right. right by, my, by my friend, Eric Rosen. Right. Or England Gambit, or these random openings. But okay, you just have to, you, have, you just have to deal with it once in a while. And um, I don't think it requires so many understanding. You just have to learn about it, how to how to encounter it. But that would be your short-term goal, of course. Your long-term goal is understanding those main openings of your choice and then right. um, doing tactics every day and um, familiarize yourself with the themes in the end game and middle game. So I think that's very important. Uh, it can be done anytime before your tournament or even if you don't have tournament you can have uh you can have those routines as your daily habits and of course now it's very popular to play online games and and i would recommend that after uh you play your your games online you come back to your file and see what went wrong especially in the opening and that's how you improve your opening skill but for other skills like in the middle game and end game i think it's it's very important to work it out with any books or any any tutors or any chess trainers so this is this is not only for club players i've been doing it myself too if um if my coach is not around then i'll do it you know i'll do my tactics my own and then i'll read a book or anything, you know, that is to familiarize myself with new or even to revise some uh, old themes that I've, I've been doing like, I don't know, like years ago. It's, it's good sometimes to revise what you've learned. Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of summarize what you said, first of all, you're saying definitely you don't have to go crazy on openings, even in the run up to an OTB tournament. If I understand you right, you're saying you don't have to spend extra time getting ready with your openings in the, in the week or two beforehand, right. For a club mm -hmm. player. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I love the tactics every day. I think that's great advice. I, <laughs> I, um, I try to do that myself. I I'm mostly successful. I think I'm like five or six days a week, which is still pretty good. Yeah. I like, I like the everyday tactics advice. That's, that's fantastic. So, but basically if someone's already uh, Irene, following what you're suggesting, they're spending, you know, the vast majority of their time on tactics and some strategy, maybe some endgame stuff too, a little bit with openings in the way that you described. Uh, they really don't have to change anything from that in the couple weeks before the tournament. Is that right? I would not recommend changing anything uh, too close to a tournament. Probably, I mean, by the by the word change, I think it's more like opening, right? I mean, you, you basically cannot change anything in the middle game, middle game or end game. It's just right. uh, whatever happens on the board, you have just to play it. And but but in the opening, you might um, have a thing to change um, some approaches. But I would recommend not doing that if you're not ready. Or mm -hmm. unless, unless you treat that tournament as a training tournament. So that is why. Uh, mm. Earlier, I mentioned it depends on what type of tournament that you're playing, whether it's um it's an important one or it's just a training one that you are, okay, results don't matter. What matter is uh, I want to try out this opening that I just, that I learned for a proper amount of time. It's not like, oh, I saw this opening last week. I'm going to play it the next week for my OTB tournament. No, I think it's a wrong approach. <laughs> right. 
even for me right now, I have like this. Okay, for longer time, I want to I want to uh, study this uh, specific opening. But oh, I have a tournament coming up in two weeks. I'm not gonna use that. I'm just going to save it up until I feel ready to use it. But uh, that is why you have to have like a longer term and short term goals. What you're what you really want to do on your games and what you really want to do in the tournaments for a month. A month to come, for example. Um, how do you deal with nervousness that can happen in the day or so before a tournament? I know you're a veteran yourself, so you uh-huh. know you're probably past a lot of that. But maybe even for yourself, if if you have a particularly big or important tournament, do you have any tips on dealing with the emotions of that? Uh yeah. Um, well, now I'm getting better, of course. Um, to control my emotion and to control my nervousness, and usually it it goes away when I sit on the board and I play my first move. Normally, the nervous comes for the anticipation of the event or of the game. But what I do is usually um, I will just prepare prepare for the game as um, as proper as I can because uh, being prepared can actually give you some confidence about the game. Um, I find myself lacking of confidence if I don't have enough time to to prepare. So um, yeah, if there is a, a game or an event that I'm gonna I'm gonna do, I'm just going to prepare and that will give me confidence and also that will give me some technical preparation as well. So that is good. And second, I will do I will do some sport. I don't know. Mm. I, I like table tennis, so I will I will do it. Um, it will give me some endorphins to make me relax, <laughs> it makes me feel happy. And um and try try to get enough sleep. Oh, this is something that um the hardest of, among the two actually for me. But every individual has their own um recipe, I would say. Yeah. Like for me, that's that's what I do. I try to prepare. Uh, to boost my confidence, but also to boost my um, uh, preparation because it might be needed, not only for that game, but also for future games, you know, because sometimes um, you never know what your opponents might come up with. And then second, I will do sports because it's good to be also prepared for your physique, not only for your mind. And then Last one is yeah, have a good have a good rest, have a good meal. Oh, I'd like to treat myself with good food before before <laughs> such an event. So it makes it makes me feel good. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. And mm-hmm. I think that doing something physically active, like a sport or a workout, is a really great tip yeah. too, because it, it kind of helps release all that stress and tension you might have. It's an outlet for it anyway, or it can be. So I, I think that's a great idea. During a tournament, if you mm-hmm. have a loss or maybe even consecutive losses. How do you deal with that? Do you have any advice for that situation to not have that loss or losses affect your next game? I would change my routine. So, I had this I had this game. I, I can I can speak from experience. Um I I just traveled back from Indonesia to the US. I remember it was uh, around March or February, February 2017. Um, I had a tournament somewhere and I was in Indonesia and then from Indonesia, I traveled back to the U.S. and I played this, I think it was called Winter Chess Classic. It, it was at the St. Louis Chess Club and I was the lowest uh, rated player in the field uh, because everyone above me was uh, uh, at the Grandmasters or their 2500s. I remember 
players like uh, Alejandro Ramirez, Irina Krosh, and Rambaldi, Chirilla, and other grandmasters they play in the uh, in the tournament. I think even oh Robert Haas was also there. And it's an impressive lineup. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was I was the I was the lowest rated, and then I had three losses in a row for the first three games. Even though mm. um, my games weren't losing. Actually, some of the, some of them it was just drawn, and but I just I just made blunders and so on. But then um, I tried to recover, as in okay, I changed my routine because it was obviously my 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 old routine didn't work for my performance. Anything you know, like from uh, sleeping earlier or from having different food or from having different approach to your preparation, just change something. This, uh, just, yeah, just change something in your routine that will reset the cycle. Yeah. And then on the fourth round, I was not very ambitious. I, after, after suffering, um, three losses in a row, a draw is always a good result. So I drew that game. And then toward the end of the tournament, I ended up with four points. I managed to. Uh, win a couple of games and draw a couple of games as well. Uh, and four points, I gained my rating and at least I was not in the, in the lowest, uh, ranked in the field anymore. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good. Um, so, but, but, uh, such thing, you know, every, every person has different approach. As for me, that would be, that would be it. Or I would, I would change something in my preparation, like, Perhaps I was playing too passively, then I would change um, in my preparation some variation that is more aggressive, that is more exciting, you know, mm-hmm. because sometimes after three losses in a row, you you lost your enthusiasm over, over the game. Like you just play whatever you want and that is actually a bad approach. So I'll keep my patience, I'll keep my patience as well, you know, and not, and not to think back about what happened three games before and and rather just tell to myself that the tournament starts now. So it will, it would be, you know, it would be, um, I would be in a good mood after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent advice. I like the idea of changing up an element of your routine after a tournament. Now this is where it can be different depending on what country you're in or even what tournament mm-hmm. you played in. But uh, maybe you can speak to what I see commonly here in the U S which is at these OTB classical tournaments, the rated ones are typically a weekend long. They're mm-hmm. usually five games, five, you know, like maybe 90, 30 games over the course of a weekend from Friday through Sunday. Sometimes they can be a little bit longer. They could be, um, there's a fourth day. Sometimes if it's a really big tournament, like the one I'm going to soon, the Chicago Open is four days uh, for, my, mm-hmm. for my rating category. After you do such a long tournament where it's been anywhere from five to seven classical games, um, what do you recommend for like how you recover from that? Like, for example, do you take a couple of days off from chess completely afterwards or, you know, how, how do you rest? Uh, just, just any element of, of recovering from a big tournament. Yeah. I would not take chess after, <laughs> yeah, probably one, one or two days. It's a, it's a good amount of, uh, time. Um, I do whatever I want. Normally after such a tournament, I would just sleep. 
not doing anything, like just be in my bed all day, be in my pajamas all day as well. <laughs> so, uh, and, and again, it's different uh, what kind of me time that everyone likes. Um, but for me, it is because, because tournaments, chess tournaments, um, they drain my energy so much because whenever I play a tournament, I try to pour everything into it. Um, it's not only about the game, but also the preparation can take hours. And sometimes after the game, uh, depending on your result, of course, the, the positions or, or the game would still linger in your mind. And it, it, it's actually distracting, distracting you from sleeping or from eating or from having a good time. So coincidentally, I just finished a tournament right now. I just finished it two days ago uh-huh. and, uh, I played in the morning and afternoon for like, a week in, um, for like seven days in a row. Wow. And it's really, yeah. And I'm not such a morning person. So it is another, <laughs> another, <laughs> another thing for me. And since yesterday and today, okay, yesterday I just, I was just in bed all day. And today I, I felt like, okay, I must do something. I have, I have something, uh, to prepare. Um, my next tournament and also my other, my other things and my other projects to do. But yeah, uh, for me, I'd like to be just relaxed and, and recover in that way. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Love the recommendation for sleep. I'm all in on that. Um, <laughs> so maybe a self-interested question, but at least half of my audience is uh, in the US. So I'll ask this on their behalf too. Do you happen to have any plans to travel to the United States in the coming, say, one to two years? I, I'd say <laughs> it actually. I plan to come this year um, because uh, I miss the U.S. I haven't been there since my graduation in 2017, and I miss lots of my friends there, especially in St. Louis. I've tried to to come back. Um, one of the years, but I just couldn't find the schedule for it because oh, to travel to the U.S., it takes so much time and you cannot just be there for like three days or four days, you know, with sure. with such a traveling time for Indonesia, you know, it can be like one day itself. So if I if I travel to the U.S., um, I have to be there for at least, I don't know, one and a half weeks or two weeks. So, and it's just... It's just a bit hard uh, for me to find um, that free two weeks in the past. And I'm, I plan to come back uh, during the 2020 until recently, but because of the corona, mm. uh, it didn't happen again. But probably, probably uh, second half of this year, I'm trying to make time uh, and then probably play some tournament. Um, yeah, just to mix things up and then... Uh, of course, I'd like to see my friends and and probably visit some places. I don't know national parks or anything. All the things that I didn't do when I was in the US. So, yeah, I'll keep you posted because yeah. um, because this is going to be great. Yeah, I miss I miss the US a lot. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear that you plan on visiting the US uh, in the second half of this year. That's great. Um, just my my last question to kind of close on a positive subject. Mm-hmm. You've played this game for decades now and you're still very active in it you're still you're still passionate about it what still gets you excited to play chess after all these years i think proving myself that i can still do it because chess chess is an endless work yeah um even after you win a tournament you still have to work on another and it's not guaranteed that you will 
top determined as well as you did before. Um, so I think what I like about it, it, it requires me to keep working and working and the uncertainty about the result. It's what keeps me going because, um, it would be, it would be not interesting if you already know what result that you might get, but chess doesn't give you that. Chess gives you, yeah, chess keeps you wondering that, uh, even if you're fully prepared, you're well prepared, it's not again guaranteed that you will get the result as you desired. So, uh, but it's, it's really satisfying when your preparation meets your luck and then, um, you win a game or a tournament, uh, that you desired the most. So this is, this is what happened to me. So that is, that is how I keep my patient, keeping work and then try it on the board. And then that is the cycle that I always do. So I think this is also a very good advice for club players. I don't know how you will keep your passion, but I think in chess, you, you just have to keep training and then you have to keep playing. And then after that, you have to keep analyzing. And this is, this is two different things, analyzing and training, because, um, analyzing is, is, it's basically training yourself based on your experience, but training is train yourself based on uh, the things that you haven't encountered before. So you want to get yourself something new, something to familiarize about, and then you apply it on the board. And then uh, whether it happened or not, then you analyze it where you do your mistakes or where you can do better than that. Because sometimes you win a game when your opponent makes mistake, not because you 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 do good moves so um yeah so i think this cycle you know helps me to be excited from time to time uh on playing chess even though of course uh at some moment at some moments in my life i would feel bored of chess and um i would feel Hmm. you know enough of chess but again um i feel like I feel like my love for chess is is very profound, and that even though it's just like with couples, right? Sometimes you you had enough, but then you'll come back to them again. So, <laughs> and chess has been with me for more than twenty years, so it's very hard for everyone or anyone to separate us. So I'll keep coming back to chess, and uh, everyone has its own cycle to keep the patient uh, on the board. So, yeah, at I think this is this is this is my tips for for you guys. Yeah, I, that is a great analogy. <laughs> I love that. I haven't heard that before. I love the idea of Chuck <laughs> being like a long term relationship that you know you just you can never you can never get tired of. At the end of the day, you you keep coming back to it. I love it. That's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Irene. I appreciate that. And um, no worries. Yeah. So uh, well, it was fantastic talking to you today, Irene. I'm so honored to have you on the show. It's really exciting for me because I've admired what you've been doing, you know, online in chess for a while. And uh, to have the opportunity to talk with you and share your story here is is just really great for me. And I'm I'm just so thrilled. And I know everyone listening to this will enjoy hearing you too. And uh, I just, yeah, can't thank you enough for being on here today. Thank you, Daniel. Let's do wonders for our chess community. Yeah, we yeah. have our own task to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm all for that. For sure. Thank you. And uh, good luck in all of your tournaments coming up. And um, maybe I will run into you <laughs> later this year in St. Louis if you go there. 
Yeah, yeah. I hope to see you. I hope to see you too uh, sometime this year. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of my business, Adult Chess Academy. And that has a website with the same name if you want to look for it. You can also find me being way too active on Twitter by searching my username, Lona underscore chess. See you next week.